Welcome to the New Abbey Podcast. We are reclaiming politics and finishing part three of our political series as we head into the midterm elections. The question for you to start off with today is this, what is bringing you hope this political season? Enjoy. We are two days away from a midterm election and we live in a country that is divided and we're divided by ideologies at 30,000 feet that you are either a donkey or you are an elephant and somehow uh, this determines who you are as a human being. But what we wanna do with the politics of Jesus is we always wanna move things from 30,000 feet to our actual embodied experiences. What we believe about Jesus is that Jesus challenges every system that's out there, including government systems and political systems. But Jesus always does that in the context of allowing you to see better who you are as a human being made in the image of God, and then who the other actual embodied human being is made in the image of God. And that's the way that Jesus subverts and dismantles and challenges the systems of the world. Now, most of the time, we say this in here all a lot, but we're going to say it a lot, particularly in this season of politics, is that we are all Americans, or at least most of us in this room, so we've grown up in the most powerful empire the world has ever seen. And because we've grown up in the most powerful empire the world has ever seen, most of us have not been taught to see the Gospels through a lens that is challenging political powers, because we're the political power. But Jesus is always moving us there. So we're going to do some things today. We are going to talk about long live the Son of God. And then we need to go on a bridge to everywhere. Then if we're going to do that, we're going to talk about equality and equity. And then simplicity to complexity to a little bit more simplicity. Then we're going to talk about the evolution of consciousness, right? Because it's all light. And then white people, you get it. Uh, And then us versus them, and then we're going to talk about some mirrors. Caesar Augustus was the first emperor of Rome, and they called him the son of God. Oh, I've heard of this one before. He was the son of God because Julius Caesar was the first dictator of Rome who brought the entire Roman empire together, and he did it through Pax Romana. Pax Romana was this wonderful thing where if you were in the empire, you felt complete peace and security and safety because Caesar, your God, had taken care of you. But what was going on in the edges of the empire is that Caesar was on a mission to kill all of the barbarians, and they were raping and pillaging the rest of the world so that you in middle America, my friend, could feel good when you go to bed at night right? So what happened is that Caesar Augustus and all the emperors of the world, they participate in Pax Romana or Pax Americana. And so Caesar, Julius Caesar, becomes this Roman uh, emperor and eventually a god, and then he dies and he hands off the empire to his nephew, who is now Caesar Augustus. And Caesar Augustus calls himself the son of God because his father was God. 
And anywhere Caesar Augustus would go proclaiming this message of Pax Romana, Caesar Augustus would spread his euangelion, which is this Greek word for gospel. This all sounds familiar. The Son of God is out and about spreading this gospel message. And this happened decades before Jesus ever walked planet Earth, which is incredibly important for you to know. It wasn't Jesus who was the first Son of God proclaiming a gospel message. It was Jesus who was coming along saying, there's a different Son of God in town, and there's a different gospel message in town, and we're going to challenge the systems of that Caesar and that system and that gospel. But we weren't taught that. But we need to be taught that, that the gospels themselves are politically charged words when they use phrases like the Son of God. The phrase Son of God was not something to convince you that Jesus was God. That's like weird stuff that we did later in the 20th century because we were scared of science and atheists or something like that, (laughs) right? But early on, Jesus called himself as the Son of God to challenge the Roman Empire and the rule and power structures and the system that was currently at hand. You need that context to understand the Gospels in a completely different way. So with that, let's look at Luke chapter 20. Watching for their opportunity, the leaders sent spies pretending to be honest men. These leaders here, if you look up in Matthew, are the Herodians and the Pharisees. The Herodians are the kind of political, secular powers of the day, and the Pharisees are the religious powers of the day. So in this instance, Jesus is going to challenge two of the great systems of his day, great systems of our day as well, that tend to sometimes have the ability when they accumulate and protect their power to also oppress people with their power. So these two political groups who are generally at odds with one another are now in a conversation to take down this other son of God. So they tried to get Jesus to say something that could be reported to the Roman governor so he would arrest Jesus. Again, everything in this is about local politics and trying to get Jesus in trouble with the political system. Because when you challenge the political system, the political system historically does one thing they kill you. Because the political system is not interested in empowering. The political system is not interested in powerlessness. The political system is interested in accumulating and protecting that power. And then what we do is we spread a message and we say, but you're safe and secure, so everything must be okay in the world, right? Uh, Same thing was going on in Jesus' day as in our day. Teacher, they said, We know that you speak and teach what is right and are not influenced by what others think. You teach the way of God truthfully. Now tell us, is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? In the Roman day, just like in uh, the United States today, 50% of the taxes that we're taking go to the military industrial complex. So the thing that you are paying for is Pax Romana or Pax Americana, where you feel safe at home, but overseas or abroad at the edges of the empire, we don't take as good of care of people as we do on the homeland. You need to understand that. That's part of the system that's going on here. Everyone understands what tax dollars go to in Jesus' day. We don't always understand what tax dollars go to in our day, um, but Jesus is making a point here, and they're making a point with what's going on in this conversation. He saw through their trickery and said, show me a Roman coin. Whose picture and title are stamped on it? On that Roman coin would be Caesar's face, and under Caesar's face would be a phrase, long live the Son of God. So if ever you thought this wasn't a political book, now you know that it's an extremely political, subversive document that's taking place here. Caesar's, they replied. 
Well, then he said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. So they failed to trap him by what he said in front of the people. Instead, they were amazed by his answer and they became silent. A couple things that are going on here that we need to think about. One is this reality that this is not a conversation about taxes. That's missing the point. Jesus understands how they're trying to trap him. And what Jesus is trying to move to is trying to make us aware of a greater system, the system of Caesar's. The system of Caesar's is, yeah, look on the coins. It's Caesar's coins, so go ahead and give to Caesar what's Caesar's. But Jesus is always trying to subvert the empire by saying, but you are made in the image of God. So you give yourself back to God is the narrative that's being given here. You are not Caesar's. You are not made in Caesar's image. Caesar's gospel of Pax Romana that protects you and makes you feel safe is not the gospel that you need to live into. What you need to live into is this radical good news that you, each and every one of you, are sons and daughters of the divine, that God loves you and that God is pleased with you. That will disrupt the system. Because in that system, there's no classes, right? We change the way that we think about race. We change the way that we think about sexuality. We change the way that we think about gender. And we begin to create equality in the world about how we see all human beings. Can you go back to the, that slide? Exactly. So what ends up happening here is that Jesus is trying to bring us into this greater conversation that you are made in the image of God. And so give of yourself back to God. Here's where we wanna go with this reality today. I'm gonna to bring this thing at 30,000 feet into some frameworks and some concepts so we can understand this a little bit better. And then Brittany's gonna bring it to the ground level about how we understand ourselves as embodied human beings and our actual experience. First, what we need to understand is that if we're gonna think about the image of God and the equality that we all bring, what we need to realize is that you can never build a bridge from the middle. We don't build bridges in this world from neutrality. We build bridges from the side of power, or we build bridges from the side of powerlessness. We build bridges from our privilege, or we build bridges from the oppression that we have. Now, there's no question that in a room like this, that we all have an incredibly diverse narratives here, and some of us have spent more time on the side of powerlessness, and some of us have spent more time on the side of power. But the truth is that all of us in this room at some capacity live on both sides at different times of our lives. And what we wanna do in this space is that if we're gonna be honest about the image that we're made in, then we need to be honest about where in my life am I finding oppression and powerlessness and where in my life am I finding power and privilege? Because when I can be aware of that, then I can begin to be aware of my brother or sister and their space in life. And then we can begin to see how are we better together than we are apart? Because there'll be this reality. You have something to offer me and I have something to offer you. Together, each and every one of us are made in the image of God, but none of us in and of ourselves are the totality of who this God is. So we desperately need each other's diversity. We desperately need each other's stories of powerlessness and oppression, and we desperately need each other's stories of our power and privilege. And how do we put these puzzle pieces together? And then we make up a greater story of the image of God. Now, what's challenging in the political conversation in our culture right now is that when we wanna have conversations about being made in the image of God, we so often get stuck ideologically at 30,000 feet. 
So there are the liberal coastal elites, right? And then there is middle America. And we divide people up by blue and red and all of the other things that we do to create tribalism in this world. What we want to bring back to the reality of what Jesus is saying about the image of God is what we're trying to do here in this room. I can't speak about somebody's experience in Kansas right now. But I do care about telling a story about Jesus, the biggest possible story of Jesus in Los Angeles in 2018 in this room. And so in this room, I wanna have questions about what are the actual narratives of power and powerlessness that we all bring together? Because I can't bring myself to a table with the person in Kansas or them with me because we literally don't live around each other, right? But that's how we wanna have all of the political conversations. The pundits wanna argue the lines that are mythologically divided across the country. We're not trying to do that in this space. What we're trying to do that in this space is you're already here. You've already chosen on a Sunday morning to be at a church instead of a drunk, uh, drunk, woo, yeah. <laughs> Freudian slip, that drunk. You could have just been at drunk somewhere, you know? <laughs> We've all been there. At brunch, drinking a mimosa. <laughs> you know? Exactly. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. You just, you gotta have at least four mimosas to warm you up. It's a Sunday morning, you know what I'm saying? You got all, you got all day to work with this thing. Wow. That was almost as good as them grinding at the stones. Remember that? Yeah, yeah. If you were here for that, if not, check out the new Abbey podcast. You're gonna have a real good time for yourself over there. So who are we in this room is the question that we wanna be thinking about. What is the diversity and the unity that we bring here? How are we better together than we are apart in this space? How do we begin to name the spaces in our lives in which we hold powerlessness and oppression and in which we hold power and privilege? These are the things that we're trying to get to. And when we can fill these gaps in each other's lives, we'll begin to move from equality also to a place of equity. And that's where we actually share in some things in a different way. There's a narrative that happened to me about six months ago that was incredibly troublesome. I was talking to a friend of mine who is uh, the owner of a pretty large business that makes multi-millions of dollars a year. And in this conversation, he is a white, powerful male, and he was incredibly uncomfortable with the Me Too conversation, and particularly a conversation that's going on in the LGBTQ community. And he knows who I am, so at a birthday party, he wanted to have this conversation, as one does. Um, and so as we're having this conversation, the awareness was this from this person. Sure, ideologically he believes in equality, but he doesn't live in spaces, and I know him well enough, right, where when he has these conversations, it can move to a place of equity. It's still an ideology in his head about how you would actually go and create equity. In fact, the conversation of equality seems kind of okay, but it was extremely uncomfortable. And he finishes the conversation with this reality. Yeah, sure, I can maybe get behind some of these things, but at the end of the day, I'll still hire whoever I want to. There's an issue with that, right? This person possesses power to control payrolls, and those payrolls mean real power in a world like ours. And we can pretend like it's something else, but sometimes we just have to name what is, is. And what is in his world is, he kind of understands equality, but can't move to the place of equity because that's determined by the people that we sit in a room with. So if we sit in this room together and then we choose not to change, and if we choose not to evolve, well, now that's on us. 
There's an evolution of consciousness that takes place for all of us, and we need to be gracious to it, that we all start in simplicity, and then we move to complexity, and then we come back to simplicity again. When you begin with simplicity, again, it's just the world that you grew up in, whatever that thing was, your family, your church, the way that you understood the world. And we call that thing conservatism, right? We can call that thing the box of construction. And this is just the world that you know. And then what happens is that you grow up and maybe you go away to college and you have that one professor, we all know who their name was, right? And they taught you all these brand new ideas about how complex the world is. And now you're deconstructing and letting things go. You moved from a box of fear and you moved into a box of anger at the shadow side of what both of these boxes do. Now over here, everything was so simple and you're like, the world is just not that simple, mom and dad, right? And over here, you're just throwing everything apart and you're a lot of times can be angry or cynical or critical and challenging of everything. Neither of these places are the places to end. What we move from is from this simplicity into this complexity. And after we've spent some time here in this complexity, to name what is, to name what is in the complexities of my life, the power that I hold, the privilege that I hold, the powerlessness that I experience, the oppression that I experience. When I can now do that for my fellow human being, then I move through that to a third way of another kind of simplicity. And in this simplicity, in this third way of love, this is the place that we want to live in. It's not that we don't deny what is over here. And it's also not saying that these two boxes are equal because they are not. They're an evolution of one thing to the other. We should all move from a conservatism and a construction into a place where we progress and we challenge the norms of what we previously understood. This is how human beings move forward in history. If not, we'd all still be like hunters and gatherers or something, right? We have to challenge some things. We have to ask some better questions. This moves human equity further and forward. But we can't stay in these boxes. Eventually, we need to reconstruct some things and ask some very practical questions about what image we actually are, what are the places of power, and what are the places of privilege, and what are the places of oppression, and what are the places of brokenness that we live into. So white people. Um, so Corey and I were having this conversation. We were talking about this Sunday. Um, and the thing I love about Corey is he has all the information to give all this context, right? Um, and I love to think about what does this mean for how I live my life every day? And the first thing I thought about when we were having this conversation was Corey and my relationship with Corey, actually, right? Because I haven't known Corey for that long, given the entire span of my life, which also isn't that long, I know, right? What you thinking? Um, so I've been with Corey that long, and I actually met Corey um, right after I came out, right? So I'm in this space where I am this black woman who just came out, and if you would have said, okay, on this journey you are about to embark on, who do you think might be a central person who's gonna walk with you and be very helpful and sit with you and, and process this with you. It wasn't Corey, right? <laughs> it certainly wasn't Corey. Um, just a, I call him my beacon of privilege. He just is so, I love him. 
And so here I am faced with this reality and wondering um, what it is doing because there were some things that were happening in me and I wasn't, I, I couldn't name them at the time. And looking back, I realized the very real truth. So in this context, Jesus is saying, who's, who's, who's on the money, right? Like who's on the coin? What, what context, what system, what structure do you live in, right? And then the follow, it's just like, what is, is? And then the follow-up question of like, okay, give to Caesar what's given, give to God what's God, give your life over to this radical new gospel, this radical kingdom. And all that sounds like a not of this world sweatshirt and it doesn't make any sense on the ground. But when it starts to make sense on the ground for me is when I'm forced with the reality of something that happens in me sometimes, it's fine if it doesn't happen to you, but sometimes in my life, the thing that hurt me or uh, the thing that I've always wanted that I didn't get, or the thing that I feel like oppressed me. If anyone else has that, I feel like they are not allowed to complain about anything. I take away the humanity of people who have the thing that I feel like I've always wanted, right? In the most simple of terms, right? In the most simple of terms, this is everyone in college who was single, and if your friend was dating someone, like they couldn't even have a bad day, right? Because you're like, <laughs> They're like, man, I failed this test. I might get kicked out of college. You're like, at least you have someone to love. Okay, like that's, that is the simplest narrative form of this narrative I'm talking about, right? And so then I meet this person named Corey who embodies all of this privilege that I feel like I didn't have and that I feel like fractured my way of seeing myself and seeing the world that I was repairing. And then he becomes one of my best friends. And then I sit with him when he talks about his family, um, things that I had a lot of that he didn't have, right? As he's dealing with what to do when his grandma passes away and we're having all of these conversations and there it's just rubbing right against that part that always told me that someone like Corey doesn't get to be sad about anything. What is that? That's the empire. And I want to be very clear, right? Because Corey and I talk about this nuance all the time of how do, we, how do we get to a place where we break down these structures and these systems that have given us ways to see ourselves and ways to see other people without invalidating each other, right? How do we do that? Because on one side, you have this completely invalidating, like, okay, great, someone subs their toes, someone breaks their leg, it's all pain, like, you know. Um, and that can be incredibly invalidating for people. And on the other side, you have something that we like to call oppression Olympics, right? Where you just spend a lot of time being like, well, who, who's more oppressed? And I was telling Corey, I was like, I feel like the gap in the middle is friendship, right? And not in a cheesy, like, Mr. Rogers, LeVar Burton way, but, like, in a real way of people in my life that have forced me to confront the places where I wasn't giving to God what was God's. I wasn't giving my whole life to this radical idea that everyone is human. And that in my own life, I have privilege. In my own life, I have oppression. In Corey's own life, he has privilege. In Corey's own life, there's oppression. That isn't a great equalizer. That means we're both human. Let's talk about it, right? There's a real, I laugh all the time. There's just a fact. I did not know a ton about money. I still don't know a ton about money. I'm learning about money. And there have been four significant conversations that I've had with people in my life about finances, and they're all white men. And I'm really grateful that they knew a lot of things. <laughs> 
there's this weird thing that happens that sometimes you feel, right, or I feel, right? I'm not putting this on anyone else. This is, I'm sharing my journey, right? But I feel like sometimes in a conversation, it only moves this way. But in this radical kingdom, it moves both ways, right? We all have something to give. We have something to receive. And there's all of this nuance, right? And I am just so incredibly grateful to be in a community and in so many relationships with tall, straight white men who for so long represented something to me that I'm realizing was so false. Yes, there are systems and there are structures and there are oppression and everyone in this room lands in different places on this. And then there's family systems and everyone in this room lands in different places than this. And then there's the flu going around and everyone in here lands on different places of this, right? And how do we move from a place of feeling like someone who has the thing I want makes them somehow less human, right? Right? Oh, oh, well, they have money, so what are they even complaining about, right? Like, you know you've said that. You know you've been broke, and you've seen someone with money have a bad day, and you're like, okay, but how bad could it be? <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, what is that, right? That's something in us that this passage is calling out, that Jesus is calling out, that like Corey said, we're not talking about what does this mean globally. We're not even talking about what does this mean for Kansas. I'm talking about this room, this community, New Abbey, has an opportunity to experience this in a radical way that you wouldn't get if you weren't in this room. And we need to take responsibility of that. And taking responsibility of that looks like looking at ourselves and saying, what areas of my image have been skewed by the system that I'm in that forces me and causes me to look at other people and treat them like they are not fully human? That may be from your position of privilege and power or from your position of oppression and pain, but it's probably there. Great. Let's just acknowledge that. And let's get into relationships with people who you think probably aren't going to be people who are going to walk you through some things, right? And we say in here all the time, if you can truly see the image of God in yourself, that's when you can start to see it in someone else. So sure, I had to break down some ideas um, about certain people in my life. But all of those came because I had a fractured idea of who I was. That came from a lot of different things. You can unpack those with your therapists. I highly recommend. Um, but not until I am able to see myself as made fully and wholly in the image of God can I look at the person who I feel like had the thing that I wanted and see the image of God in them as well. And that is what this radical gospel is all about. There is no more you are this, you are that, you are that is. We are all made in the image of God. But if you can't see that in yourself, it's going to be really hard to see it in literally anyone else. Regardless of who they are. Your friend, your brother, your cousin, your spouse, your, uh, your enemy. Donald Trump, right? She may not be your enemy, maybe your friend. Um... So that's what we're after, right? That's what we're after in this room. That's when all of this comes to the ground level. You have Caesars, you have these military industrial complexes, you have race, you have class, you have gender, you have family systems, you have the thing that happened to you in eighth grade. You have all of these things that put a little crack in the mirror that you see yourself in. 
Then you have this radical gospel that says that mirror is crystal clear and it has you as made in the image of God. And that gap looks like relationships, looks like processing, looks like surprise, right? And so um, we all got mirrors today. Corey was really, Corey ordered them. Aren't they great? But you have these mirrors, right? You have these mirrors, and we didn't want to, we didn't give you coins, right? We didn't give you coins because that would tell you what system you live in, what place we are, where we are. But the mirror will tell you who you are as made in the image of God, right? And it's just a challenge. And the challenge is this. The challenge is to realize that seeing the world, being politically active, trying to make change, all of these things is going to come and it's going to come greater when you can look in the mirror and see yourself as made in the image of God. So, we want you to do that. Do you have anything to add? That was great. Okay. I felt like earlier you were like, oh, I want to say something. In there. Okay. Um, get back in my preacher voice. Um, so, that is our, that's our challenge. And... Um, to call it the truth that uh, not only is this mirror and does that point back to you, but we do that for each other, right? We are mirrors for each other. We tell each other what we see, who we are, um, how we are made in the image of God. We give value or we can take value away. That's what we do. That's what human beings do to each other. And so we're going to get back in our groups and we're going to have a conversation. And the conversation is this. You're going to ask two of these questions, one or none or both. Is your image bringing life to someone? And what relationship is someone else's image bringing life to you? You can talk about that. You can talk about something completely different. And we'll be back soon. Thanks for listening to the New Abbey podcast. For more information, visit us on the web at www.newabbey.org.